Hey guys, this is a special interview that I did with a young lady by the name of Brittany Nugent. Now, Brittany started a page called Justice for Brianna Nugent Nix. That was her sister. Brianna passed away early last year. It was ruled a suicide, but her sister Brittany and Brittany's family do not feel like this was a suicide. They feel like this was a murder by uh, the young lady's husband, Stephen. And she's trying to get the message out with all the facts that she's been able to come up with on their own and the corruption factor from the police department. And she wanted to speak about it. She reached out to me and said, hey, you've got a good size audience. I really just want to get this story out there. Can I come on and talk about it? So this is not paranormal at all. It's uh, very similar to when we had Sarah Turney on talking about uh, her situation with her sister missing and her thinking her father did it. It's, uh, it's, so if you listen to that episode or that interview, this is very similar. So there's no paranormal uh, activity involved in any of this. It is strictly this young lady putting out the evidence that they have that might prove that her sister did not commit suicide and maybe some ulterior motives were at play. So this obviously is not an episode for the kiddies. So if you're uh, just letting people know before we get into it, uh, there's no bad language or anything. It's just a very tough subject matter. So uh, I'll let you decide what you want people, you know, children and what ages that can listen. But uh, just wanted to at least let you know what the subject matter was ahead of time. But uh, it was a very heartfelt interview. I know she breaks down a few times in there and uh, I really feel for her family. So uh, give it a listen. And go to the Facebook page, which is called Justice for Brianna Nugent Nix. Uh, I'm going to post it on our pages so you can find it easier, but it'll be a way to keep up with the story going forward. So uh, take a listen, and if you want to share, feel free to share. Hey guys, we have a different sort of episode today. Uh, it's not paranormal related at all. It's just uh, something that we think may help somebody who's going through a lot right now. Let's just say much like when we had Sarah Turney on and talking about trying to find the rightful, in her case, killer of her sister, even though her sister was never physically found. Uh, I was approached by a young lady by the name of Brittany Nugent that has a similar situation with her sister. Uh, sister passed away. And it was definitely under some mysterious circumstances. And it was eventually ruled that uh, sister uh, passed away of an accidental overdose. And in reality, Brittany and a lot of her family seems to think that it was it was uh, possibly her ex-husband or I'm sorry, her husband at the time, her husband that actually may have committed a murder. And she's, she's got all kinds of thoughts on why this may be, and she's trying to get the case looked at in that way by uh, authorities. So, Brittany, I, I want to say it's uh, an honor to have you on. I wish it could be under different circumstances. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Jerry. So you reached out to us, not because you knew who we were. Uh, you reached out because you're just trying to get your story out to anybody who's willing to tell it. And even though this isn't subject matter we typically cover on this show, we did do it for Sarah. It's the only other time we've done something like this because I felt strongly that it was a situation that needed to be done. And after reading all the information on your, your sister's page that you've set up, Justice for Brianna Nugent Nix, uh, I wanted to, to help you out in the same possible way. Uh, I, I do want to say uh, just to, to people listening, uh, I'm not near as familiar with this case, obviously, as what Brittany or her family is. Uh, we personally from this show are not making any accusations towards anybody, uh, but I wanted Brittany to have a voice to be able to tell what she thinks is going on. And uh, that's what we're going to be as an outlet today. So, so Brittany, first of all, tell us, uh, tell us about your sister first as a person. Let's talk about her as a person. What are your, some of your fondest memories? 
Um, so we actually hung out every single day. Um, we would, she would come to my house and just, we would talk for hours. Um, we would do crafts together. I actually just moved into the town that she was living in, moved my son to that school system just to be closer to her. Um, it's actually the town that we both grew up in. Um, I had moved away and then found my way back to her. And for six months, we were right there next to each other. She came over every day. And six months after that, I received a call from her husband stating that she had killed herself. Um, I was at work and he called me on March 2nd of 2020 and I had just finished eating lunch and he said, I said, hello. He said, what are you doing? I said, I just finished eating lunch. I'm at work. What are you doing? He said, well, your sister's done tried to kill herself. You need to get over here. He said it just like that. He had no, he wasn't panicking at all. And it, it, it was almost to the point to where I didn't even believe him. I thought he was joking. And I said, are you serious? He said, yes, I'm serious. Why would I joke about this? You need to get over here. So I dropped everything and it took me about 40 minutes to get to her house. When I pulled up, um, she lives at the corner of a cul-de-sac right at the entrance of it. And the whole street was just lined with ambulance and police. So when I get there, I walk into her house and I said, what happened? So to go back from the beginning, my sister, she was a nurse for 12 years. Um, she never had a drug problem. She didn't drink alcohol. She she didn't do anything. Um, so going back to when I walked into her house, um, her husband's sitting there with both of his parents on each side of him, and he's just staring at the floor. And I said, what happened? And he said, I don't know. I heard a thump. And I thought it might have been her, her dropping her cell phone or something. I didn't think anything of it. I left to go to the bank and the dump. And I came back about an hour later. And I noticed that the bathroom door was closed, but the light was on. And he said, I tried to open it, but I couldn't because it was locked. And then he said... So I finally got it opened with my fingernail, which is weird because he has no fingernails. Um, he finally unlocked it with his fingernail and tried to open the door, but she was laid up against it. So he had to force the door open. And he said when he did, all he could see was her feet and they were blue. Um, he noticed that she was unconscious. So he called 911 and they walked him through the steps of um, doing compressions and he said that he worked so hard on trying to do compressions on her up until the paramedics got there. He said he was gone for about an hour. When he came back, he found her that way and there was a needle in the sink and a little couple of drops of blood in the sink that's all he knew so then um the investigator that was working the scene that day I, I did notice that his uncle was there his uncle is a local deputy that works for the local sheriff's department um for blank county and he was there in uniform working the scene that day and the investigator started asking him all these questions. I never went back there and saw my sister. They did not allow me to go back into the bathroom. So I just stood in the living room the whole time praying that she would breathe. She would start breathing. Um,
they took her mother-in-law outside and I watched through the window while I sat there and watched them tell her something and I knew it was bad because I saw her just drop her head and start crying and I knew something was wrong then and there and they walked back in and pronounced her dead not long after that he asked the investigator if this was a suicide will I still get her life insurance I don't know what I'm gonna do without her life insurance I'll lose everything so then He never had any emotion. He just sat there staring at the floor the whole time. And they asked him if he could write a statement. And he said, oh, I can't write a statement. You won't be able to read my handwriting. I went to Hayden. Ha ha. And I thought that was just so weird after minutes after They pronounce your wife dead. You're making jokes about your handwriting. So I sat down and I said, tell me everything that you just told me and I'll write it for you. Well, at first he told me when I first got there that he was gone for an hour. In the statement, he didn't say anything about going to the banker dump. He said he left and was gone for about, he left at 1135 got back at 12, found his wife, and called 911. And it was funny because he had just texted me at 12.02 saying, or asking me if um, I had, I just bought a new car. And it was during COVID and I was trying to get a new car tag. And he literally just asked me if um, I got a tag for my car five minutes before he called 911. And then 20 minutes later, he's calling me, telling me, your sister's done killed herself. You need to get over here. So I write this statement for him, and it's complete. It's not opposite, but it's a different time frame of what he told me for how long he was gone. Um, He did say that he went to the bank in the dump, and he came back, found my sister in the floor, and um called 911 and that that was all that was in the statement he didn't say anything about him hearing a thump he didn't say anything that he had told me the the time difference had changed from what he had told me from the beginning versus what he had me write in the statement he originally told the investigator that he was gone for 3 hours Um, so then they find her phone and I knew her password to get in her phone. He didn't want to give it to him. And I said, I know her password. I gave it to him. As soon as they opened it up, it's this stupid Facebook video that she's watching. It's right in the middle of some goofy Facebook video. And they start going through her call log. Well, she was a nurse. She worked from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. And she had to do her report when she got off. So she normally didn't leave until about 7.30. It took her about 30 minutes to get home. And they asked him, what time does she normally leave? What time does she normally get home? And he said, she normally gets home around 8 a.m. And they said, where were you when she got home? He said, I don't know. I was asleep. So I don't know what time she got home exactly. Well, as they're asking him that I'm standing right there with them looking at her phone and there's a missed call from him at 7.53 AM. And the investigator said, well, she has a missed call from you at 7.53. How, how are you asleep when she normally gets home around eight? And his response was, Oh, well, I must have woke up and called her and forgot and went back to sleep. So then she asked, the investigator asked, um, is it okay if we look through her phone, if we can take her phone? He said, you can look through it, but I don't want you to take it. And they asked if they could look through his phone. 
They asked if they could look through her car. They asked if they could look through his truck. He said, it's fine if you want to search her car, but I don't want you searching my truck and I don't want you taking my phone and I don't want you taking her phone. So the investigator. Brittany, let's let's stop there for a second. Now. Okay. All this is going on. Obviously, there's discrepancies in the details that he's given uh, between the statement and between the times. And then it it sounds like the officers caught him in a little uh, bit of a difference with the phone call that he had made saying he had been asleep. Let me ask you this. And I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm not disputing any of this. I'm just trying to ask the questions that maybe somebody after listening might ask. You had mentioned that he was making jokes about his handwriting and all that. I don't know the man, obviously, like you know him. Is he the type of person that has one of these um, a sense of humor as to where when he gets nervous that he automatically starts making jokes? Is it some people are like that? I'm not saying he is, but some people respond uh, to adverse situations by nervous laughter and stuff like that. Is that a possibility at all? I don't believe so, only because he had just lost his best friend six months prior to my sister's death. Um, And it was a motorcycle wreck, so it was nothing, you know, suspicious. But he was very upset. I even saw him crying and, you know, he was very upset about losing his best friend. Well, this was right after they pronounced his wife dead and he's making jokes he he was just staring at the floor the whole time he didn't say anything like almost as if he, as if he was nervous or something um, what what uh kind of relationship did did your sister and her husband have it during this time or, or at least what you're aware of it sounds like so you two were close I, we were my sister and i were very close Um, But she never talked about him, good or bad. She would make a few comments here and there. Um, She did have a prescription to her ADD medication, and she had to keep it on her at all times because he would steal it from her. Um, Other than that, she really, he would go off and do things with his friends. He never worked. He did not have a job for the past five or six years. Um, and she worked two jobs. He even made a statement to my fiance's dad the first time they ever met when he asked, what do you do for a living? He said, oh, I don't have to work. My wife's a nurse. Um, but he did, um, before his best friend passed away, he did help sell parts to vehicles, um, on Facebook for him, but then he passed away. So, he would just do odd and end jobs, um, going around to people's houses and fixing things, taking scrap metal out for people, just little things like that. Um, and he, like I said, we had just moved to Hayden where she lived. So he would come over to my house while she was at work or while she was sleeping and help me, you know, hang up stuff and get the house ready for us to live in. But the whole time that we would hang out together without her being around, all he did was talk bad about her. He would talk about how she, all she does is spend money. Um, She buys the stupidest things. She would even have to have packages sent to my house when she would want to buy her friend's birthday gift because he had everything tracked come into their house. It would come straight to his phone before it was even delivered to their house because he was that controlling of how she spent money. Um, which is, which is odd considering that he didn't make money. <laughs> exactly. But come to find out two weeks after my sister had passed, his mother called me asking what our problem was with them and we we had our suspicions but we never let them know that we did not show that at all um we acted like you know we were grieving with him we supported him 
even though from day one, when he called me and my mother telling us that my sister had killed herself, um, we had our suspicions from day one. Um, but after, I'm sorry. You're okay. So after, let me ask you this. Let me, let's go back real quick. So he called and said, Hey, your sister killed yourself. Basically you need to get over here at that point in time. Had she already been pronounced dead or was he making an assumption? Well, he said that they were working on her. Um, I did not witness this myself, but the investigator afterwards, when I started talking to the investigator, the investigator did tell me that he was pretty much tripping over the paramedics that were working on her. Their bathroom was very small and that's where she was found. So she told me that he was pretty much tripping over the paramedics working on my sister to empty their bathroom garbage out. And his family, they were there before any of the first responders were. They were taking a garbage bag out to his vehicle, um, which I thought was weird because he just came back from the dump and he had a full garbage bag. Um, they had put it in the back of his truck. Well, his dad had went and tried to take the garbage bag out of his truck and move it to his vehicle to take off. And one of the cops whistled at him and said, don't go near the truck. Don't touch anything. Don't pull anything out of the truck. While, this was while the investigator was um, had went to Aniana, which took about an hour there and back. Well, a little over an hour there and back to get a warrant to search his truck. When she got back, the truck had been moved. Um, in that garbage bag that they did um, obtain from his vehicle that day that they had taken out from the house, there was black gloves, there was syringes, there were several different pieces of evidence. This evidence sat in this investigator's office for 15 months. It was never put in an evidence locker. Um, her cell phone, they did take her cell phone. They searched his truck. They found um, an envelope with, a. they didn't tell me how much money. They just said it was a bunch of money in an envelope. Um, and back to what his mother-in-law was, or what his mother had told me when she called, she said that he had a safe at their house that he had $11,000 in that my sister did not know about. And I don't know where that money came from because he wasn't working. She was the only one making an income. Um, I know I keep getting off track. I'm sorry. It's just so much. You're, you're okay. So let's, let's do this. All right. So it's ruled a, uh, a suicide or accidental death, but it's not listed as a murder. This evidence is just sitting, not even in an evidence locker. You guys are starting to really build up suspicion, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why. And you you have a list uh, on the Facebook page for Justice for Brianna that uh, lists in order of all these things that were found. So let's start, first of all, with what looks fishy compared to the autopsies. Let's start with the autopsy. What happened from there and what things were given to you guys as far as information from that that started to really make this look suspicious? So first of all, the, in, so this is the original investigator. She has been removed from the sheriff's office. Um, she was all about trying to get to the bottom of this there for a couple of months. She was texting me every day, telling me to try to gather as much information as I could without him knowing and just, you know, play cool at like we're on his side and that's what I did. I talked to him every day. He had, he talked to me like I was one of his buddies. You know, I asked him if you think this was suicide, she, she was seeing a psychiatrist. And I said, 
could we not contact her doctor and see if maybe she had talked to her doctor about suicidal thoughts that she might have had? And he said, no, Brittany, he wasn't there that day. He's not going to know anything. I've got too much to deal with. I'm trying to handle all these financial things right now. And I don't need to be thinking about that on top of everything else. Um, but the investigator had told me, you need to, you know, keep talking to him, get as much information out of him as you possibly can. And there for a while, she really was trying to get to the bottom of it. After a couple of months, things changed. She tried to convince me that my sister had done this to herself. After she told me that my sister was found with an 18-gauge needle, and let me remind you, my sister was a nurse for 12 years. There were several needles of various sizes unopened in her home that day, but she was found with an 18-gauge needle. Which um, is a big needle. Exactly. It's like an ice pick, pretty much. Um, so I, I heard her mention to him, she kept taking him off where I wasn't around and I couldn't really hear what she was asking him, but I did hear her ask, you know, the bruising on her feet, the bruise on her feet are just, you know, strange. And he was just making up excuses saying, oh, well, she must have been, she comes home with bruises all the time from moving hospital beds around and things like that. So I actually went to the hot or to the, um, the funeral home two days later, I went with my friend to do her hair and makeup and I looked at her body and there were over 80 needle marks on her body, all fresh, all made that day with an 18 gauge needle. And this whole time we're thinking that she had done this to herself. She had taken her own life. I had to call my dad and let him know. Brianna took her own life. And when I got to the funeral home, the funeral home director, she had told me that her son had died from an overdose before. And she, you know, she's been working at a funeral home for years and she's never seen anything like this in her life. So I asked her to show me and I, I took pictures of her body I mean, her feet were covered in fresh marks. Her hands were covered in fresh marks. She had just got home at eight o'clock that morning. And by 1254, she was pronounced dead. So within four hours, she had put over 80 marks on her body in places that she couldn't have even reached. She was right handed and there were marks on the back of her right elbow. There were marks in her back. There were marks in her kneecaps. There were, there were marks everywhere. Her whole body was covered in fresh needle marks. And these are from the 18-gauge needle? From an 18-gauge needle. What was the drug that, that they say that she overdosed on? So at first, they didn't know. Two days later, he calls me over to his house and says, hey, we found something. Come over here. I want to explain to you what happened. So I go there by myself. His family's there. So I'm the only one from my family that can tell you what he told me that day. He sat me down on the bed and said, your sister had a hidden addiction. We found two empty fentanyl vials that she had been um using in her drawer. First of all, if you have a hidden addiction that you're trying to hide from your spouse, why would you keep two empty vials? That's like an alcoholic throwing two beer cans on the top of the garbage can for somebody to see. It, it made no sense at all. Um, and and the, the part that makes this even harder to believe for you guys is the fact that she had to go through drug testing on her job. Exactly. And she never showed any signs of drug use. Her coworkers can tell you that. The, the night that she worked, um, I spoke with one of her coworkers the night that she, the last night that she worked and 
they told me they did not, they had dinner with her that night. There was no marks on her hands and the, the condition that her feet were in, there's no way she could have worked that night. I mean, they were bruised on the top, on the arches of her feet, all over. And, and you, you two were close and you say that as far as you know, she'd never even used recreational drugs. No, she didn't even drink alcohol. She might have a drink every now and then, one or two drinks occasionally. I had just seen her two weeks prior before her death. She showed up to my house in a tank top and shorts and flip-flops, and there was not one mark on her. And two weeks later, she had that many marks on her body. And one of these things, one of the things that I read that aggravated uh, you and your family is that he had a bunch of family members, as far as the husband's side, that were allowed in the home during all this investigation and never asked to leave. I would think that would have been aggravating on my part, too, because, you know, that that's a crime scene, technically, whether whether they thought it was or not. I mean, so you got all these people from his side of the family there during the investigation. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I. I didn't think anything of it at the time just because, I mean, he told me that she killed herself. So everyone was in the home wandering around the whole time. So I, I really didn't think anything of it until two days later when I saw her body. And then two days later, these fentanyl vials just appeared in her drawer after the home was supposedly searched by the police. And the original investigator had, I mean, she had her suspicions and then a couple of months go by and she is trying to convince me that Brianna did this to herself. And all I could think was his uncle that works for that sheriff's department has done something. She even told the investigator even told me that she didn't want to question him or interrogate him because she was intimidated by the uncle and didn't want to piss him off by asking her husband these questions. And once the coroner arrived, he, he wanted to have an autopsy done just from the way her feet looked. Um, so come to find out she's, all about trying to get to the bottom of this. She thinks that he is 100% guilty. A few months go by. Now she's trying to convince me, well, you know, the autopsy came back. It was an accidental overdose. I spoke with forensics. They're saying that every mark was precise and only a nurse would know where to inject in these sites. And I said, but why would she use an 18-gauge needle? And she said, well, she was trying to hit major arteries, but the needle was found in her arm or from her arm. We, we've been told so many different things. We don't know. He told us one thing. The investigators told us another thing. We honestly don't know. We do know it was 18-gauge needle. Um, and I, I do know of all the injection sites just for me seeing it myself, but come to find out she tries to start changing her story. Once the autopsy report comes back, we still have not seen the autopsy report. Only next of kin can see it, which is him. So he's the only him and the police are the only ones that have their hands on that. Um, come to find out October, the end of October, the original investigator takes this case to grand jury. The DA walks in. This is coming from the investigator. The DA walks in and said, this is an ongoing case. We're not doing grand jury. We're stopping grand jury because Brianna was a witness to a murder. Therefore, she was murdered. So the investigator called me that day and asked me, did Brianna witness a murder? And I said, no, Brianna didn't hang out with that kind of, that kind of crowd. She would never be around anybody like that. I don't, that it blew my mind that she would even ask me that. 
And she told me the DA walks in and said that she just received a phone call from an anonymous witness saying that Brianna had witnessed a murder. Therefore, she was murdered. So she said, well, should I call her husband and ask him? And I said, no, why would you do that? I don't want him to know that the case is ongoing if he's being investigated. We'll come to find out as soon as she got off the phone with me, she called him and let him know that Brianna was a witness to a murder. And she's wanting to know who this witness was that called the DA. Where, where does that stand now? Have you heard anything else about that to know that, that she was actually a witness to a murder or is that made up? What do you think? So we actually had a meeting. My father and my mother and I all drove to Aniana and went to the courthouse, met with the DA, the ADA, the sheriff, the new investigator that they put on the case and the new investigator that the DA hired. Um, And we asked about that and the DA said, no, that was a mix up. That's not true. And she pulled out a photo of my sister's feet and said, this is why I stopped grand jury and had this kept this case going because of this photo right here. I saw this photo and I knew something was wrong. So we didn't know whether to believe the original investigator or the DA. We didn't know anything. We, We were all just in the dark. The DA would not talk to us. The investigator, went, nobody would talk to us. The investigator had been taken off the case. So we didn't know who to talk to. And then it was a year, the one year anniversary of her death. Um, I started reach, I started doing research and looking at mysterious deaths, cold cases, all this stuff that happened in the surrounding area around the time that my sister passed and I reached out to one person that had went missing and was found a few months later. I saw where they had been posting on Facebook. So I reached out to his aunt and she told me, or she told me that I need to get in touch with this lady that does this podcast. So it's almost as if this lady knew that I was going to be reaching out to her because once I called her, she had all this information. I sent her the pictures. I sent her everything that I had. And she, she's been a saint. Um, she has really helped us out a lot, but she did a lot of research. Um, I'm sorry. I keep getting, <laughs> I keep losing focus on, you're okay. It's a, it's a lot to go over. So let, let me interject, let me interject right here. And, and we're going to do a little um, recap. So that, just tell me if I'm wrong on any of this or if, or if I'm pretty much spot on. So this happens, you're at the, the actual scene. You got all the, the ambulance and, and uh, EMS, everybody's there. They're, they're working on stuff. You're helping you're helping him get his uh, statement and stuff together, his statement. And I'm going over why you guys really feel like there's more to this uh, on his side, because during the time of the statements, the statement changed. He was laughing. He was joking at the scene and it didn't seem like a nervous style after it was just like, almost like, Oh, well, he made it a point to ask about the life insurance policy uh, on whether that would be covered if it was a suicide or not, which is kind of kind of an odd question to ask on the site, even if you're concerned an about fin- fi- right. yeah, even if you're concerned about finances, right then at the at the at the scene is probably not the time that enters your your brain. He refuses to give them or doesn't want them to have her phone, his phone, and will not allow them to search his truck. They do search a bag of garbage, which has uh, syringes and black latex gloves in it. And but all this together, you know, on top of the fact that that how many 
suspicious type injury she had for uh, a short period of time, uh, 80 different marks. All this together is what makes you guys from your side of the family suspect that there's more involvement by him than what the police are saying. Right. So the original investigator that was taken off the case um, back in October of 2020, um, I had I had reached out to this lady that does the podcast and she encouraged me to make a post saying that, you know, there's a lot of unusual circumstances or just a suspicious death pretty much. And we just wanted answers. Um, so we made a post and the original investigator that had been removed from the sheriff's office at that time reached out to me and told or was asking me, you know, I thought, I thought you were aware that your sister did this to herself. Why are you making this post? And I, I don't know if I can say that. I, I don't know if I want this public, honestly. Uh, you just um, tell what you're comfortable with. And, and if you want to be vague on this or just skip over it completely, that's totally on you. I don't know. I want to tell it. I mean, there's, there's blatant corruption here, but I'm almost scared too, because, because of what has come from it. Um, So we did go meet with the ADA, the DA, the sheriff, and we asked, the sheriff, do you know who Stephen Nix is? And he said, no, couldn't tell you who he is. Never met him in my life. Well, I had just noticed two weeks prior to this meeting that he wished him a happy birthday on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And my mom said, well, you wished him a happy birthday on Facebook. And he said, oh, I've got 5,000 friends. I wake up every morning and wish everybody a happy birthday on Facebook. And we just kind of let that go. Um, and then we asked about her being the witness to a murder because that's what the original investigator had told us. And the DA said, no, um, this photo right here is why we, you know, kept the case ongoing. Um, and I said, well, you know, the original investigator is still reaching out to me, even though she's not working for the department anymore, saying that, She's still saying that Brianna was a witness to a murder. And that's all they wanted to do was keep using her as the excuse why the evidence wasn't turned in. She's lying. She's the reason why this whole case has been completely destroyed and mishandled because they kept wanting to put it off on her. Well, there is a chain of custody. There's, she was a brand new investigator that they had just brought into, I don't know what you would call it, <laughs> um, the investigation team, I guess. But um, she was brand new. And there's people over her that, you know, are supposed to oversee that the evidence is handled properly. Well, it wasn't. It sat in her office after she was removed from the sheriff's office. It sat in her office for 15 months, just sitting there. Now we're being told the phone that they, my sister's phone that they took that day um, has lost all data from sitting out for so long. So there's no way that they can dump it and look at any, any, they cannot collect any data, cannot look and see at of any phone calls that were made or anything like that. Everything's been deleted off of her phone. Um, I went and met with the new investigator and he showed me pictures of the evidence that they did obtain that day. They were holding, this is police photos. They were holding these syringes with their bare hands. Oh. And I asked, can you, can we have this evidence and all to have it examined? 
And he told me, no, um, Blount County does not do DNA analysis. And the evidence has sat out for so long and there's no telling who has touched it. It's all contaminated. So there's no way that anything can be tested because there's no telling whose fingerprints have been on it and who's gone through it. Crazy. Well, you know, all, all I can say is that that I hope if there was some kind of foul play that went on, that uh, the person is brought to justice, because I, I would hate to think that anybody got by with that. And it's a shame that there are so many uh, factors involved now that that's going to make it hard to prove otherwise, other than just somebody just breaking down and confessing uh, that they did something. That's it's going to be it, it's going to be they tough they have nothing other than a confession. So that's why we decided to make this page. And this page is only what a couple of weeks old, right? I made it September 27th. Good. Okay. Well, darling, I, I hope that if this is foul play, I hope it does get discovered. So the family can have some peace and some form of justice along the way and uh like i said it's uh you definitely have have uh, our thoughts and prayers just for losing your sister in such a, a horrible way and uh i i hope that this helps uh, some way somehow to to get the answers that you guys are looking for thank you jerry and there's so much more to it i just this is the first time i've spoke about it and it you know it kind of makes me nervous talking about it publicly and it getting out there so it's hard to tell every little detail when I'm I feel like I'm kind of put on the spot right now but there's so much more to it and there's some things that I don't know if I should say at this point just because I'm almost I'm, I'm I am in fear of my own life at this point, just because of all of the corruption. Uh, and, and like I said, you're, you're probably better off not saying something that you're not sure of. Always err on the side of caution. Uh, right. And that's why I didn't press you for that part. Cause obviously if you're not comfortable with it, I don't, I don't want you to uh, say something you're not comfortable with by any way, shape or form. Tell everybody, Brittany, how they can find the page and how they can help in, in uh, any way. Um, the page is called Justice for Brianna Nugent Nick. Um, and my name is Brittany Nugent. I make everything that I post about her public. So it can be shared. Read it all that way. Mm -hmm. And we're going to post, uh, I'll post it on my personal page and on our Facebook page. Uh, so hopefully uh, people will see that. Uh, we've got 20,000 people on our Facebook page and, I'm sure a lot of them are, are, are in your area. So let, let me end on this. I, I know what the end goal is. The end goal is to uh, have, if he is guilty, to have him confess to it so you can get some kind of justice. What do you think the publicity that you're trying to gain, how do you think that will help accomplish this? Or is there another avenue like getting the case reopened? Uh, that you're trying for? What's the end goal here? Well, the case is actually still open. I okay, so it's never been closed. It has not. I just have a feeling that they're just waiting for that two-year statute of limitations to run out for us to hire a wrongful death lawyer. So that way they can close it and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, his family sold their beach house and another home that they owned. Um, not far from where they live. So altogether, they probably sold about $350,000 worth of property right after my sister died. I don't know why they needed this money all of a sudden, but I feel like somebody has been paid to destroy evidence and keep quiet. Okay. 
Well, and, and I'm sure that touches on the corruption part you alluded to earlier. So maybe we're probably better off not saying any more about that. Yeah, but um, I, and it's it's not even the justice part. I mean, even if he doesn't get or if my sister doesn't get justice here on Earth, he's going to get it eventually. We just want answers so we can sleep at night and have closure and stop wondering. We just want answers. And I'm hoping that we can put enough information out there to have somebody come forward because I know, I know there's people out there that know. We put a number on our on Facebook. People have been calling in on this tip line with information that I cannot share just to protect their identity. Sure. But there's people out there that know a lot more. They're just scared for their lives to tell and they they will not come forward and share the information but i know it i know there's people out there that know goodness well I, like i said i i we'll, we'll definitely be thinking of your family and and uh, hopefully you can get some kind of answers one way or another to be able to have that peace that just move on thank you all right. Thank you for, for talking with us, Brianna. I mean, uh, telling us Brianna's story, Brittany. And uh, we're glad to be any part of helping you guys get some answers. Thank you. And I'm sorry. I know I was all over the place with the story. If I had it laid out in front of me, you know, I could go over. I wrote a whole timeline and everything. I've got everything all in paper. And then there's a lot of information on the page, um, inbox messages that have came in about people telling me things about him. Um, there's a lot of text messages, screenshots of text messages that he sent me that were very disturbing to send to your spouse's sibling right after losing a loved one. It's all of it is just so. I don't even know the word to describe it. It's just it's horrible. Yeah, understandable. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Brittany. And and like I said, uh, we're we're gonna follow the story along, and then hopefully you'll keep us updated, and and uh, hopefully you get some answers soon. Thank you, Jerry. You're welcome.